We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You guys know where to follow me, so I'm going to go ahead and plug the YouTube. If you're on the audio version right now, just go ahead and subscribe to Seahawks Man to Man on YouTube. Even if you only listen on Spotify, just do it for us because we love you. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C. KIDD206 and that C Kid 206. All right. I am in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and I cannot wait to leave because every time I've come here, the Seahawks look like crap. Uh, and it always feels like their season is over. I've only been here twice. Once their season was over uh, in the playoffs. Now, Chris, they don't know how to score no damn points. <laughs> like, this is the first time I've ever watched the Seahawks get shut out. It's the first time they've been shut out. Uh, when led by Russ, first time they've been shut out since 2011. Chris, this is bad. Like, I think someone asked me on Twitter, um, is it time to panic? I said, it was time to panic when Russ's finger went the other way. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you see the, um, did you see before the game, uh, before the game, ESPN ran like a behind the scenes on how Russ got back, like with his finger? Oh. You see that? Oh, it was like an NFL countdown or something like that. Yeah, I saw I it. Didn't, I didn't realize how squeamish I was until I seen them close-ups of Russ's finger doing the seawalk. I was like, yo, this is this is bad. And I think I I knew, and I don't know if I said it on the show or not, but I knew like when Russ got hurt, I was like, this, this is this is a wrap. Like this, this is done. Like Russ is everything. Uh Russ, well, I shouldn't say he's everything because as we learned, he is not. Uh, but without him. They're really bad. And then he's not even to the point where he's superhero and can fix everything. Because Chris actually, let's do this. Let's get the defense out the way first. Should we just do that real quick? And just show Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I like the title there. Oh, hey, it's the defense. That's kind of how it's <laughs> kind of like how I talk. Yeah. Uh, let's get the defense out of the way. Claps for the defense. The Seahawks defense has turned a corner. Been saying it now for a little bit. I know people were kind of skeptical 
Um, and understandably so to some extent because the way we assess defense is we, we feel like your defense can only be good if you play good people, and that's just not how the NFL works. There are bad teams going to play them, um, and that you should make them look like bad teams, which the Seahawks have done a good job of. You know, Whereas the Saints, the Steelers didn't look great, the Jacksonville Jaguars, like teams that are going to put up more points than they put up against the Seahawks. And I, I tried to remind people, I did this mostly on Twitter, not as much on the show, that there are ways to judge a defense besides like points and stuff like that. Although that's one very important measure or just like quality of opponent. You can look at if guys are in their gaps, like gap integrity, if they're where they're supposed to be on any given run play or whatever, right? Are guys tackling? That's one where it don't matter who you're playing. Tackling is tackling, right? Um, are you covering certain concepts? We knew, Chris, the Rams ran the same play 100 times uh, in week five, and it worked 99 times. If it didn't work that 100th time, it's probably because Robert Wood dropped the ball. That was it. Uh, for real. They were running the same stuff. Well, can the Seahawks stop that? Yeah, they did. They, st- they, they started to change their defense, fix some stuff, and just freaking learned how to cover because they put guys in there who could cover. Like, they were just doing things that you were like, oh, this will probably translate. Will they, will they shut teams out? No. Um, but you can tell, like, the Ryan Neal switch, that started to work. Getting Trey Flowers about the paint. That started to work. Getting Sidney Jones about the paint. That started to work. Like they put guys in who could cover. They get off the field on third downs thanks to the dime package. Um, and every once in a while they get a sack or two, and they're one of the best teams in the league at actually batting passes. And that needs to be like a stat because I think Carlos Dunlap's like top five in the league or something like that at passes batted. Anyway, long story short, there were reasons to believe the defense would perform well. Did I think it would hold Aaron Rodgers to zero? Uh, to three points to three quarters in Lambeau, no. But there were definitely legit reasons to be like, oh, the defense has kind of figured it out now. Because um, in both cases, I say last year and this year, and I, I'm, I think you'd agree with this, Chris, there was reason to believe that a personnel change would help the defense. Like last year, it was like, oh, the defense is bad. They can't rush the passer. They should get a pass rusher. Well, they got two. They went and got, got Jamal Adams back and then got Carlos Dunlap. Cool. Earlier this year, I was like, well, they probably should put somebody else in that corner because Trey Flowers not getting it done. Like you figured removing him from the equation would help. It helped. Um, there, Jordan Brooks was not looking like he could cover, at least on like third downs. And third down defense is bad. Oh, okay, cool. Let's put in Ryan Neal. I just felt like there was there was potential for personnel changes that were available to them could help them on defense because they weren't getting beat on like simple, like it was real simple stuff that they were getting beat on stuff they could fix. So I knew they would turn a corner and have they, because I think Chris, what we just watched today is a good defense. The Seahawks are a good defense. Now they got some good numbers. Let me read some numbers here. If I'll let you fire off real quick. Cause I do think that these are important here. And these are some stats that are going to be the whole season. I'm not, I'm not going to cap it at just week four. So let's take into account that they are trash for a little bit there. The Seahawks are now ninth in opponent in, a, in points per game allowed. I know I said points aren't everything, but let's just go with that. Uh, the, 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 the ninth fewest, that is. They're at 20.6, right? a little behind the Steelers, just ahead of the Dallas Cowboys and ahead of the Rams. Uh, the Rams, who obviously play on Monday night. So this may not be like the best example to throw the Rams in there. Uh, but opponents' points per drive, the Seahawks are 10th, right behind the Pack, actually tied with the Packers, a little bit ahead of the Bengals. 
defensive EPA per play for all my nerdy people or people who ain't nerds um, like that EPA per play. Just think of it as like a, an efficiency metric. Uh, like that just shows you how efficient you are. And it, it takes into account like garbage time stuff and things like that. Uh, okay. Seahawks are 19. All right. Not super great here. However, they're in the positive and EPA per play it gets negative after that. Um, so like just really, and then the numbers are all much better if you start at week four. So like, the Seahawks are legitimately a good defense, I think. Do we got that out the way now, Chris? Because I really think we, it's time for us to dig into the offense. Because these guys, they're they're a problem. Before we get that, you got anything on the defense? Anyone you want to shout out? Outside of A.J. Dillon tiring them out and being a bully, I think the defense did what they could. You mentioned holding this offense with Aaron Rodgers, who's back from COVID, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, and the other list of receivers they have, they did a pretty good job of making it tough for Devontae Adams to really have explosive plays. I think he might have had – well, not might have. He had one big play, yeah, but outside of that, yep. they were forcing it to him and trying to create just explosive plays off of it just being Devontae Adams. They did a really good job of making it tough. T.J. Reed, he slipped and fell on a go route to – uh uh, what's his name? Yes, Marquez. Yeah, yeah. Number eighty-three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Outside of that, I thought Trey Brown and DJ played a phenomenal game defensively, especially mm-hmm. when you look at Devontae Adams and what that offense can bring. Like I said, they were forcing it to these guys, to Devontae Adams, and they were still able to make it tough on him. He didn't break hundred yards this game, which I thought he might be able to do just because Devontae Adams. And I thought overall. The team was communicating Jamal Adams. He was all over the place in the backfield. He was harassing Aaron Rodgers, made it very difficult for him in multiple situations during that game. And he also came up with a big interception that the Seahawks needed momentum. That was a play right there where Jamal Adams was there, made the play. Who had pressure on that again? Uh, I think Rasheem, who also had a good day. Yes, Rasheem had a sack, and he also had pressure there. Overall, though, the defense definitely – Yeah, Rasheem did, yeah. Yep. Overall, though, I agree. The defense, they did what they could. They did everything and then some. They got a turnover. <laughs> they I mean, got yeah, after- Look at the numbers. The numbers are, like you said, A.J. Dillon bullying them. Dog, A.J. Dillon had 66 yards on 21 carries. That is, that's, that's not, that's not good. Aaron Jones, or uh, seven carries, 25 yards. Not yeah. good. Like that, if they held Aaron Rodgers to no touchdowns, passer rating like 75. I don't have the EPA numbers in front of me. Like, they, if you hold, if you told me, Mike, you're in cold ass Green Bay, but here's the good news: um, A, Uber Eats is gonna take care of you after the game. I'm like, that's great. Second, <laughs> B, you're like, all right, Mike, the Packers are only gonna score 17. I'm like, oh, I might watch a win. Like, if you told me that, I'm like, okay, cool, I'm gonna eat good and I'm gonna watch a win. Like. That's enough. 17 points. Yeah. Like if you hold Aaron Rodgers 17 points, your team should win. You held, you held Devonta Adams to seven catches, 78 yards, no touchdowns. You did everything you wanted to. Yeah. But you can't be pro- a shout out every week. Like if you're – so put it this way. Let's put this in context and put a bow on the defense. So the Packers scored 17 points, right? Um, how, the, the team the, – the, the, the team leading the league in points allowed per game, like in a good way, that's Buffalo. Buffalo's allowing only 15 points. New England is second at 17-7. Mm-hmm. 
So pretty much, if you're allowing 17, you're damn near the best defense in the league. They did their part. Now, why didn't the Seahawks win? All right, Chris, now it's time for us to dump on the offense. And have I think I have my first, like, actual hot take. Like, I don't – I'm not – hot takey enough to really do it that much on the, the post-game shows that we have, I think I'm ready. I think I have enough information. I think I've watched enough. I think i talked to enough people to understand this is my hot take. Chris, the Seahawks offense might be broken. That's what it is. I think that, that's my take. Does that count as hot? It's not hot, man. If you watch the games, they're three and six. They didn't have rest for three weeks. Geno Smith was thrusted into – a challenging position who hadn't played in years and was expected to win two out of the three at least, and he was only able to win one. Then you have Russ being Russ coming back. Not sure if he's 100%, but he was out there, so he he clearly was healthy enough to play, and he didn't, he didn't execute the way he wanted to. You can bring up any great play call you want. Plays weren't executed. I also didn't agree with a couple of plays that I saw running the ball over and over again, trying to establish something that's not there. At what point do you just try to get the ball to your guys who we talked about with Matt last week on the preview show? We mentioned Kevin King going up against this, against the Seahawks offense, how they should attack him, what he's improved on, where he hasn't improved on. The Seahawks didn't do a good job of using Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And sure, I'm going to watch the tape again, watch the game again, watch the all 22 and see what, the Packers did. And based off what I was seeing just on the screen, I was seeing a lot of safety too high, meaning they had a lot of help. And on the interception that Russ threw, while Russ indicated that he didn't think the guy was going to make a play on the ball, I can clearly see how the Packers played it and they knew what the Seahawks wanted to do. It's almost like last season when Tyler Lockett said, what would you say? Which interception? He threw two. The one where he was looking deep for Tyra Lockett oh, okay. and that got picked up. Not the one to Kevin King. The one that a- Adrian Amos made in the back of the end zone where Tyler did a double move. And if that was week two, week one, probably a touchdown. But because teams got film on these guys, which Tyler Lockett indicated last year, he was saying, yeah, people just you know figured out what we were doing. Well, you're down 17-0 or 14-0. I, I, I think we know what's coming here. And ultimately, he made a great play. He was able to flip his hips and make a play on the football. Overall, the offense, it just, there was no rhythm. You bring in D. Eskridge for one play, and it's minus three, and then you don't see D again. You keep running screen plays, and not really working out for you. I get that Gerald Everett is a beast, and he wants to run through people, but how about run that for DK? Why not get D. Eskridge in there more often? There's a reason why you drafted this guy so high. I know he got hurt in his first time playing, but you got to give him another opportunity to get rhythm and get going with this offense, or he's just not going to get onto the field. I, they wanted to throw it up to Freddie Swain. Well, hey, I remember stating that maybe if they go out and get OBJ, make that claim. Now, if he didn't want to be claimed, that's a whole other story there. But there are instances where I'm thinking, wow, if they had OBJ, the Seahawks might have scored. That fade route to Penny Hart that we talked about off wax. I'm guessing Odell probably makes that. The fade, Freddie Swain fade down the sideline. Defender makes a great play on the ball. I think that was Darnell Savage. Cool. I'm thinking Odell probably makes a play on that. We're going to find out on Monday Night Football what Odell has to bring to the table, but I do think having a DK, having a Tyler, and then having someone like Odell clearly makes this offense better. And they right now they just don't have 
that third weapon. They really have DK and Ty, but when DK and Ty are shut down, which what we saw on Sunday, well, where do I go? Oh, you know what? Gerald Everett's going to get a bunch of catches. Okay. What did that lead you to? Seahawks still didn't score. They need someone that can bust the game open and make a change. And that's what everyone thought D was going to bring. But again, I mentioned earlier, they gave him one opportunity. And they ran something that everyone knew was coming. As soon as you saw him in the game, I'm like, please don't tell him they're going to run a sweep here. Because I can clearly see everybody in the box. They know it's coming. And next thing you know, it's a loss of three. And again, we don't see DS for the rest of the game. You said the offense might be broken or it is broken. It's in a situation where I don't know what they can do. I really don't. At this point, Chris Carson comes back. Maybe that opens things up and the run game finds its rhythm. Alex Collins, he played okay, but the running the running game wasn't there. The run blocking wasn't great. It just was a mess in Green Bay. And you said, you tweeted it out. The Seahawks should never play in Green Bay, pretty much. That's just a game that you don't want on your schedule. Because for whatever reason, when they go out there, whether it's the cold weather, whether it's Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson coming off an injury, you name it, they can't get it done. And on Sunday, we saw more of that. And I honestly, with this offense, everyone was excited because Shane's going to bring something new. I'll be honest, I didn't, I didn't know much about Shane. I'm still wondering, okay, he was the passing game coordinator for McVay. The Rams' offense is still flying, so how much of a role did did Waldron play with this offense over there versus here? I don't know, and I'm wondering how much Pete has to say in this because we all talked we talked about this for the last two seasons. This is Pete's offense, so Shane could call the greatest play ever. Pete can come in. And, nah, nah, we're not we're not doing that. Uh, it's second and ten. We're going to run the ball here, which. It is what it is. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Seahawks running on first down, second down. Oh, it's third and long. What do we do? Try to pass, not working out, punting the football. Offense might be broken. I have nothing else for you. Next up, the Cardinals. Maybe they can find some rhythm, but <laughs> this offense, man, they they got to find something because what they're putting out on the field, it's not clicking. And it didn't click today. They put up as many points as you and I can put up, Mike. Zero. Yeah, that was a fat, fat, fat goose egg there. Um, Dang, I talked for a long time. My bad. <laughs> get, 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 your, get your bars off. Get off my chest. Uh, uh, I think, so, I guess if I'm going to say the offense might be broken, I should explain why. Um, reason number one, I think that their third down issues are not going away. And that leads them to basically rely on being incredibly explosive on first and second down. And that is unsustainable. You have to be able to stay on the field on third down. You're going to face third downs. Like the best third down offense is to avoid third down altogether. Yes. But eventually you're going to have to get, you're going to see third downs, right? And you're probably going to see some third and longs. You have to be able to execute. You're going to have penalties. They're going to back you up. I don't think their third down issue is going away right now as of this recording they're about 29th in third down offense right now our third down conversion rate they're ahead of san francisco which has not played yet this week so who knows where that number will go either way they're still a very bad football team on third down i think we'll get into a little bit of third down one of the questions we have from listeners is a third down related question but i think that's point one russell wilson teams have been pretty bad on third down most of his career um 
save for I think one year. I want to say 2015 or 16, they were really good on third down. I can't, I don't really want to look it up right now. Just trust me on that. I know I'm right. So basically, all except for one year, they've been bad uh on third down. So that's point one. Point two. They do not have a good offensive line. It's gonna be hard to have a good offense when you have a bad offensive line. Would I say their offensive line is bad? Mm, it's getting there. Like it's to, it's to the point where I don't really trust anyone other than like Gabe Jackson to hold a block for very for very long. Like I think that's 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 point number two. You cannot be a good uh, run first team and not have good run blocking. And they were pretty efficient today, actually. Uh, Alex Collins averaged um, I think four yards a pop, but he was also like he had positive EPA per play. Uh, positive EPA for the day, which is really hard to do because runs are just uh, uh, not a very efficient way of moving the rock, and they were able to be effective there. He only ran the ball 10 times, 41 yards, long of 10 yards, like some some decent stuff. I don't think he had any negative runs, which is always good. Uh, a couple one-yard runs, I think, but like in general, the run blocking is just – it hasn't been there the whole time. Chris Carson's not going to come back and save that, right? Okay, so there's that. That's point number two. Point number three. Russ is excellent, and Seattle has thrived on Russ's excellence, masking not excellence-ness. That's not a word. I need a it word. It is here. now. They, okay. Basically, Russ has been able to cover up when other people ain't good at their job, right? Cool. Russ is probably still good enough to do that, but not to the extent that they need right now. So the, you can't ask Russ to be out there with below average pass protection, inconsistent run game. Cause even then, like the 40 yards, that's still not great. Like I do, I want I want to get more out of the run game. Like they're still not hammered it in there, right? So you got that part. The skill position guys, you mentioned Odell. You know better than good football players, Chris? There's only great. one thing better than good football players. No, no, no. I'll answer my own question. It's rhetorical. The only thing better than good football players is more good football players, right? Like right now, and Pete Carroll has said this. I don't know if anybody caught this when he said it like three, four weeks ago. It was on the radio, one of his radio shows. He was like, yeah, we go into every game because the question was about DK. I forget what the question was specifically. I think it was after the Saints, actually, because it was because DK had that, that lull after the 84-yard touchdown where he didn't touch the rock to the fourth quarter. So I think he was getting asked about DK. He was like, of course we got DK in the game plan. He said, we go into every game trying to get DK the ball, Tyler, and then Gerald. Then he stopped. He only named three people that they go into the game trying to get the ball to. Do you know why he only named three people? Because it's only three people worth giving the ball to. Mm. That's, that's the reality. And it, as much as that's been my thought for a while now, which is why I was on board with the DS Gritch pick, because so I was like, you, you need, you, you're going to live in 11 personnel. That's their most popular personnel grouping. That's 11 personnel with three receiver sets. Uh, for my non-nerds out there. So if you're going to live in that personnel grouping, you need someone better than Freddie Swain. I like Freddie. He is not that dude to be your number three on like a high-powered offense. Right? Just just, just not. And Gerald's, I think, good enough there, but you ask him to block so much of the time because of the tight end that that gets tricky, right? So they have a personnel issue. I don't know what point I'm on now, like three or four. My point is they have a personnel issue. They don't have enough dudes worth trying to design a play for like how many plays in the book are you think are designed for Penny Hart? How many do you think are designed for Freddie Swain? 
Can't believe they threw that fade to him, man. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's that's a lot of trust. Fades to Penny. I get, I like Penny. He's a very funny cat. I don't talk to him much. When I do, I enjoy it. That don't mean you should be throwing end zone fades to him. That's just kind of where I'm at with that. And then I'm just gonna magically just grow more talent, right? I do think they have talent. Like I shouldn't just dismiss having Tyler and DK. A lot of teams would wish they'd have guys as good as Tyler and DK. There are teams that have less talent than Tyler and DK that move the ball efficiently. Like I get that. But that's not been enough. I mean, that that's lacked for a little bit here. And I feel like anybody who was just like, you know what we don't need? More receivers. I'm like, are you blind? <laughs> like, forget even if you don't want Odell, for sure. If your thought ever was, we don't need more receivers. We don't need more guys who can get up and catch the ball. You are on the goodest of drugs. And I know goodest ain't a word, but I'm going to use that one. The goodest of drugs. They need more. I think the biggest... The biggest thing that people keep choosing to ignore is that Russ has openly said they don't have enough talent on offense. He's on CBS talking about we should we should sign Antonio Brown. You know what? Let's get Josh Gordon too. You know why he's asking for more people on TV? Because they don't the people they got ain't that good. And if if, if you don't want to take my word, y'all want to take Chris's word, that's fine. Russ is saying it on television. He is saying we want more. I need more help. And if he's saying it, who, if, if, you, if you're not going to listen to Russ, who else can listen to? So that's that's been my thing, and that's showing up. Are they going to score more than zero going forward? Yeah, man, they might drop a 30 ball on the Cardinals, for all we know. Like, it's not the end of the world if they scored zero, but zero was very bad. It's the worst, actually. And I think them scoring zero just showed you all the problems that have been problems with or without Russ. And I think that's probably where I go to point 15 or whatever, point 16 that I'm on on this rant. You said you talked a long time. I'm on full-on Stephen A. Smith diatribe here. I'm even using words like diatribe. Uh, but I'm on point 17, and that is that when Russ left, the offense was still eh. Hang on. Rephrase that. Rephrase that. When Russ got hurt. Yeah, okay. When Russ, you know, when Russ got hurt, when his finger went the other way, they had seven points. <laughs> that first half of that 49ers game, I know it feels like forever ago. Did they have zero points then too, or like three? Forget what it was. They were they were trash in the first half of that 49ers game, and then in the second half, Russ turned into Russ, and it was like, oh, okay, maybe Russ can save the day here. And then no, against the Rams, they had seven points when that man finger went the other way, uh, and then Geno comes in there, and you really see the problems with the offense. You really see the limitations of their skill position guys. You really see the limitations of their run blocking. You really see the limitations of their pass protection on third down. You really see the limitations of the run game. Okay, Russ comes back. I knew Russ coming back wasn't going to fix everything. I tried to write it in a nice way this week. I said, hey, Russ is cool and all, but everybody else needs to play better too. And everybody else was like, Mike, watch this. We're going to play worse. Like for, And I wasn't just like a player thing. That's a coaching thing. Chris, this offense is stale. I don't know if maybe, – maybe, Chris, maybe we dreamed that indie game. Because I feel like we ain't seen anything close to that since week one. Where the yeah, hell that, that, still go, it's it's there. They can do it. I just I, I don't have words for it. You mentioned the three guys that Pete Carroll mentioned who they're trying to get the ball to, and the conversation ends. That tells you right there there's an issue, and they need to get as many people. There's a reason why Russ went out and said we should go get Antonio Brown. He didn't say that because Antonio Brown's washed up. 
He didn't say my... he Antonio Brown's a nice guy either. He thinks Antonio can catch. He can give a catch or touchdowns and allow the Seahawks to win games. And That's all Russ cared about. Nothing and else. what? And I I've mentioned this before, and people are like, Chris, we already know where you're going with it. Antonio Brown catches a touchdown on the biggest stage and captures his first Super Bowl. And Russ has to witness that. And you know what's made what's going to be even more of a just if this happens, if tomorrow Odell Beckham goes off for you know six catches, you know hundred yards and a touchdown, how do you think Russ is going to feel? Not to mention they play these boys in Week 15. I know Mike, you asked him at the press conference, hey, you know, did you hear about the news? By the way, OBJ is definitely signing with the Rams. What's your thoughts? Oh, good for him, man. Happy for him. Russ ain't happy for him. Russ is pissed. <laughs> because that was an opportunity. <laughs> no, for real. Russ is that was an opportunity for Russ to have, who's an elite quarterback, to have in another elite wide receiver as your third guy. I mean, you were probably I don't know if you got a chance to watch the game tonight, but the Oakland Raiders, they just signed Deshaun Jackson. Why? Because he could take the top of the defense. You lose Henry Ruggs, cool. We'll bring in a veteran and Deshaun Jackson. Unfortunately, Deshaun Jackson fumbles. I saw but, the fumble. That's the only yeah, play. That, so the that is why they bring him in. You think the Raiders were like, nah, Deshaun's old. We don't need him. No, Deshaun Jackson can still get it done. The Seahawks had an opportunity to bring in someone. And I again, I don't know the details if they claimed him and Odell was like, nah, I don't want to be there because you guys run the ball too much. I'm not trying to be there to, to pass, to run block. That's not my game. I'm open. Throw me the rock. Whatever the case may be, he didn't sign. They didn't get it done. And that can be a philosophy philosophical thing with Russ, with Pete just saying, yeah, I'm sticking to who I am no matter who comes here. But something's got to give because this type of offense, I don't know if they can get you a Super Bowl. I think someone asked that question a long time ago. Hey, do you think the Seahawks can win the Super Bowl with this type of offense? And I think you answered it, probably not. They're going to have to really find balance. And when I mean balance, I mean being able to use the two stars you have that creates everything else for Chris Carson for your tight ends for D Eskridge. You want to see more of that. And on Sunday, we didn't witness that again. They didn't score a touchdown. They, they had opportunities. They anything, Chris, they scored, they scored zero, no touchdown, no even freaking safety. Which would be Did my guy Myers even get a chance to kick. I know your hashtag never kick, but they didn't even get to that. I don't think they play. crossed into the Packers territory until the third quarter if i'm not mistaken no 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 they got they got there before they really they punted in the packers territory i'm pretty sure either way and that to be honest early in the game i I thought they should have went for it they punted from green bay's 48 and then they ended the game on green bay's 45 so yeah their their last three drives actually all crossed midfield last three drives but no i'm talking about the first half First, first half. half excuse me so i do believe though they should have went for it on that first fourth down like when the game started i was like yo you're three and five. <laughs> you don't have, there's no like, hey, we should punt it here. You need to go for it. You brought Russ back to to just punt it. In my head, I was like, yo, this is the time now where you go for it and you send a message early that we're three and five, but we're looking to be four and five. We're looking to make a run. And what did they do? They punted. That I did not like. I really thought they should have went for that on that first fourth down because it wasn't much. It was fourth and Russ scrambled and was a yard short, if that. And they decided to plant. I was really like, yo, for real? This is what you you brought Russ back for this? And when I saw that, I was like, this might be a long day. And sure enough, it was a very long Sunday for the Seahawks who didn't do anything offensively. That's all I got. 
I want to. I will. I will say this too before we get into questions. It's not even. I don't really want to harp on the Odell thing. Like, oh, you have to get Odell because I do think there were other circumstances. No, you have to get Odell. Forget he, all well, that. No, he wanted to be a free agent though. He wanted to. True. There is there is something to the idea that like, okay, man, you you claim him when he doesn't want to be claimed. Like, what do you you, you bring in a pissed off Odell? I do think that would have subsided after a while. Um, but fine. Let's the, the point. The point that I always the, the the discussion I wanted to have through the lens of the Odell thing was. If you just think that you only need Tyler and DK, you were off your rocker. And I really, and the, the, so here's the other part about that that I really don't think people were considering that. And it's weird because of how popular fantasy football is. Anybody who's had Tyler Lockett on their team in fantasy football knows you are getting two options with Tyler. Either he's about to have 30 or he's about to have five. That's it. There's very little in between. He'd be, he's either about to have a million touchdowns and a bunch of deep balls, or he's going to catch – what do you have today? Two catches for 23? But that last catch didn't even count it, man. It was, it was like a 16-yarder on the garbage. <laughs> right. So you're basically – anybody who's who's had Ty, Lock, Ty Lockett in fantasy knows this. That man is boom or bust. Now, when he boomed, that boy, boom. He's crazy good. Like, that's why his numbers are so good every year. But it's it's it's, it's all these peaks and valleys. And I, don't, I just think you needed someone else to complement DK's consistency. I've thought that for a while. Again, that's why I was a fan. I was think I was a fan of the Josh Gordon thing. I would have been cool if they brought in AB. Um, I think I probably mocked some receivers to them in the draft or free agency. Like I've always kind of like encouraged, like it can't just be these guys. Not only and there's also Tyler usually gets hurt in the second half of the year, but besides that, you always factor in guys being healthy, whatever. But even if you factor in the health, it's like you got one guy who clearly is either he either goes off or is like excuse me, he's either goes off or he's just non-existent. You can't have that. And then just pair it with just DK. That's just that's just not enough on top of the pass protection thing. So, like, that's the discussion I wanted to have about weapons. You need more weapons. You can never have too many. Because once you start throwing end zone fades, Penny Hart, that means you need more weapons. That's just – I can't. I, it sounds like I'm picking on Penny. I'm just not trying to. The last thing is, like, point twenty five that I will make. I think I've I cited this on the show before. I had a conversation with the homie who's really good with quarterback stuff and offensive stuff. It's like his thing. I think he like scouts for Bleach Report right now or something or has in the past. And we were talking in DMs. And I was just like, hey, man, am I tripping? Or is this offense really basic? This was like week three or something. He was like, yeah, you know, they really just only have a couple easy schemes. They either just play action deep shot or they run like empty and then run a bunch of stick routes. That was it. And it made me think about when Jordan Brooks was like, we were like, oh, what's the biggest difference of the off the offense? This was in training camp. He was like, yeah, you know, they're going a lot faster. You know, they're getting it out quick. A lot of stick routes. Uh, I was like, hmm, that's not nothing crazy. Because stick route, you just run to the sticks and turn. <laughs> fancy about that. I mean, there's some variations to stick concepts and everything. But for the most part, you have guys at sticks. Anyway, so when I heard that with the homie earlier this year, I'm like, well, that's not good. They don't have anything to manufacture easy stuff. And then you look at their offense. It's very feast or famine. And it's been, Russ's offenses have been like that for a little bit, but it's really been exaggerated, I think, in recent years where if they're not getting a big play, there's damn near no plays. And that is why an offense like theirs is, is why I'm willing to say that might be broken compared to like when the Chiefs were struggling offense, where the Chiefs put up a 40 ball today or like how – the Bills are getting a lot more too high looks because they've become a pass first team. Those offenses, I think, have the ability to get stuff a more over the middle, and they know how to get stuff quicker. 
Like Seattle's offense doesn't have easy stuff built in. It's been like that for a little bit. And now I just don't – at this point we have games of data. We got years of data. We got quarterback and head coach relationship data to suggest that there's not going to be an easy way to manufacture yards in the, with, with these two running the show. Whoever we want to put that blame on, I don't really care because there's, it, Pete and Russ, those are the two main characters in this movie. You can shuffle out the OCs all you want. But that's where I think you look at scheme and coaching, and that's where I really, really lean into the broken part, is that with those two as the main characters, nothing's coming easy. It's either big, deep shot on play action or we punting. Damn the, 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 the talent part. You can't win no games like that. I mean, they'll win games. I shouldn't say that. But you get my point. My point is that that's not a sustainable model for – for uh, scoring a lot of points, or at least scoring more points than the other team, or Chris, as we saw today, scoring scoring <laughs> exactly like, that point about the coaching part. I cannot drive home enough. They're not scheming up, and maybe they're not capable of, or just not executing whatever it is. It's, it's too hard. This offense is just too hard. And and while it's, I think it's going to be like that as long as, like I said, the same two main characters stay. And if that's the case, then yeah, it's broken. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They should be doing simple addition and subtraction, but they're trying to do calculus and trigonometry. Without it's a too hard. What'd you say? Remember in high school how they didn't let you do math classes with the, you, you, the teacher be like, all right, we got math test today. No calculators though. <laughs> That's it right now. They're like, yo, we just got a long division by hand. This is yeah, nothing nothing comes easy for them. So I, until that changes, I'm leaning into my broken. Well, we have a lot of Twitter questions. People want to know, they want to hear what can be done. And I think we should get to them, Mike. What do you say? All right. I'm going to try to keep my, I go, I get long winded on some of these. Well, I think it's the fact that you want to explain it and give the people the gems, but it's okay. We're going to get going on this. I'm setting a little timer on my phone right now. So a little buzz if I talk too long. (laughs) A lot of people, I want to say about 
10 people had questions regarding Pete. So I'm going to lump them all together. All right. A, should there be a head coaching change? Should Pete be fired? B, do you even think Pete will be back next season? And C, can Pete do anything different? Woo. Oh, boy. Okay, this timer thing might not work out because that was, was a lot of questions. Those are heavy questions. Uh, okay, the first one was, will there be a coaching change? I don't think they'll fire Pete from Miss They. I think we need to talk about who they is real quick. Um, <laughs> because it's like, who fires Pete, right? It'd be Jody Allen, the owner. Um, or I think they're like, there's like the president's name, like Bert or something like that. I don't know how involved those guys are. I know Jody's pretty hands off. Anyone here who follows the Portland Trailblazers can see that like she's pretty hands off with owning them too. Um, so I don't think that Pete would be fired after miss, uh, for missing the playoffs. Um, will there be a new coach next year? Uh, I'm 50 50 on that. I would lean toward there being the same coach and a different quarterback. That is what I lean toward. We have to see. There's still a lot of games left. I think like eight games or something left. So we'll see. I'm, I'm 50-50 on that. Because I don't. here's one thing I, I'm pretty confident in ruling out is Pete retiring or quitting. I just don't think that's in Pete's. Like, unless they start getting wrecked, I'm talking like blown out, blown out, which I don't think they will. Pete's teams usually fight. Like even today when the offense was trash, one, the other side of the ball really fought. And it's for as long as they could. Man, that was just – after a while there, they were just like, they, they were trying to strip the ball and stop tackling. And A.J. Dillon had that 50-yard run um, or 50-yard catch and run. Um, so my point is, until the, unless they're getting blown out by 20 every week, Pete's going to feel like he, he he can do enough. So I don't I think you can rule out that scenario. So will there be a new coach? I don't think so, but I reserve the right to change that. Um, and can Pete do anything different? Of course. Willie, though, I really don't think so. I don't know what it. Cause here's the thing: I don't know how bad it has to get for Pete to change, right? Like that. Well, that's, think about it, Mike. How good was it before he had to make a change? Things were going great, and Russ had one bad game, right? Well, yeah. The, well, I, I don't think he was ever really bought into the let Russ cook thing. Like even then, okay. He he would blame. He was blaming the offense for scoring so fast and so much. And he was like saying, oh, our defense doesn't know how to play with a lead. And it's like, what? That's the dumbest shit I ever heard. That's that's up there with, like, of all the things that I disagree with that Pete's ever said. I agree with some stuff he says and I disagree. His, of all the Pete-isms, the, when he was blaming the offense for being so prolific that it was throwing off the defense and putting them back on the field so fast and they didn't know how to play with a lead and... They were surrendering yards that were just like trash yards, and then teams end up scoring. It's like, bro, you were blaming your offense for scoring thirty on why your defense is trash. That was the that really was the dumbest thing he's ever said. Uh, so I don't I don't know how bad it has to get. Maybe scoring zero will do it. Maybe maybe scoring zero will be that. But maybe he'll then just say, oh well, we turned the ball over twice. If we don't turn it over, we'll score more than zero. It's like, well, yeah, but what about the other two? All the other drives. <laughs> There were other, all every other drive besides the two turnovers were bad too. <laughs> yeah, those too. Like, so that's why I don't think he'll do anything different in season unless it's run the ball more. That's like his default. When he gets nervous, he says, "You know what'll fix this? Running the ball more." It's almost like I think I might have used this analogy before. Is the uh, if you've seen the show, everybody hates Chris and uh, Chris's mom 
would think that Robitussin fixes everything. You break your ankle, ah, just put some Robitussin on it. Oh, you, you, you got your, your bone sticking out of something. All right, put some Robitussin on it. That's Pete. Oh, you got in a car accident? Don't call Geico. Just run the ball. Like that's that that's him. So I don't I don't know what he can change. I don't know it's it is I don't know how bad it has to get for he can change. So I, I think I'll answer like no to all those questions. Fair enough. One word to describe today's game. What would it be? Tragic. Mm. That's the word I'll use. Tragic. See, I kept that one short. Sometimes you keep it short and sweet. Yeah. If you know what tragic means, that's all that matters. Yeah, it's tragic. <laughs> And if you don't, Google is there for you. What is the intent of the defense that requires Jordan Brooks to cover a crossing wide receiver in the deep zone? And what is the biggest factor for the ineffectiveness of the Seahawks deep shots to DK and lock it? Um, the Jordan Brooks thing, actually, I'll be let me make sure I got my timer set on this one. I'll, I'll be brief on this one. Uh, that's just part of like defense is to have like your your uh, your weak side like hook defender having to cover those number three receiver doing the over routes or crossers. I know what throw they're talking about. Like without getting too into the weeds of football, that's like a pretty normal thing. KJ would do that all the time. Bobby, like most linebackers, like I'll put it this way. So, uh, whoever watched, whoever accessed that, they watch football clearly. So watch it and watch the linebackers on any play action pass. Watch what they immediately do after they realize that the ball is now being thrown. First thing they do is they turn their back and try to locate any crossing routes coming right behind them. That's the first thing they do because that's their responsibility. That's, I mean, who else is supposed to cover the middle, right? Like those are your underneath defenders in the middle. And then you have your safety over the top to help. So, I mean, the play that they're talking about, Jordan was in the right position. That's a tough play to make. That's why they want faster linebackers. Um, Aaron put it in the right spot. Quandre helped as much as he could. And Lazar dropped like, I don't think that that's, like, one of those things where, like, dropping Carlos and Brian Monet into coverage, that stuff, I'm cool with everybody complaining about. That's stupid. But, like, having your inside your inside linebacker cover um, a crosser or a deep over, like, that's pretty, that's just, like, football. I don't want to get too much more in the weeds, but that was simple. What was the second part of that? Biggest factor for the ineffectiveness for them deep balls. You know what? For the deep shot that just came out really wrong. <laughs> ah, that was for the deep balls. You put some, <laughs> put some emphasis on that. Uh, a couple things. Uh, one is protection. Got my timer set on this one too. Uh, protection. Uh, they're not you, you need protection to throw deep. That's just pretty simple. Um, the other part is that teams are they're they're scheming that away. They're like, look, we will double DK. We will put a safety over top of Tyler, um, and hey, you guys were going to have to just run it down our throats, or you're going to have to throw it to somebody else. That's what they're doing. They are dictating that because, like I said, they got three guys worth giving the ball to, Gerald, Tyler, DK. I know that. You know that, Chris. You know who else knows that? Every defensive coordinator in the league. <laughs> Actually, even the ones not in the league know that. Like Everybody watching knows they only get the ball to three people. That's it. Maybe Gerald might not even touch the ball. It's really just two. Like today, he got a lot of catches uh, and a lot of targets. But the other teams know that. And they they recognize what I am saying. If they can't go deep, there is no offense. Sustaining 10, 12, 13 play drives. I know Shane Waldron said, and I asked him this week, that that's the goal. But that's just not happening. It's just not. 
Uh, so until until they find a way to like manufacture points uh, without without uh, having just deep shots, that's going to be the case. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to continue to be a struggle until they find a way to get some easy stuff. Third down. We got to get this figured out. What key corrections could be made this upcoming week to get those converted consistently? Um. Oh, boy. I don't know if I can do the timer on this one, Chris. Hold on. Should I do the timer? Because this is tough. Because this is a big deal. Their third down stuff? Bro, this is bad. Um, It starts with protection. Well, actually, it starts with the play call, actually. I think that... Actually, you know what? It starts with the philosophy. I keep changing my answer here. All right, here we go. Here's why it starts with the philosophy. Seattle gets into a lot of third and, like, longs. I think their average distance is, like, third and seven or something like that. They get to third and obvious throw situations, right? So, and they're a team that's pretty conservative. So, um, when you are conservative like that, you throw out a lot of plays in the book. Like, everything has to get to the sticks, essentially, right? You can't call a five-yard route on third and seven, and you're going to punt. You could call a five-yard route on third and seven if you're a team that goes for it, right? Because you're not. The other team knows that. It puts you in this bind where you have to, like, you have to get the distance. All right, well, if you have to get the distance, then you have to get guys time to get to the sticks. All right, if guys have to get time to get to the sticks, well, you need protection. They have protection. They have, like, a below-average offensive line. It's not garbage. They're okay. Um, they had some moments today where they were great. They were. Even though, um, I think on both of, at least the second interception, they were, it was fine. Russ had time. He just chucked it up for no reason. Like, they're okay. They're not great. So that's that's the thing. It starts with philosophy, then it works backwards to protection. That's that part. Other part is, teams are, I, have, I don't have a metric for this. I'm sorry. But I just know it because I watch. They're doubling DK. What's the point of single covering them on third down? Why would you do that? Why would you put, stick one? Unless you have Jair Alexander, Xavier Howard, Jalen Ramsey, there's really just no reason not to double DK on third down. I would. I might triple team. The Steelers were definitely doing it. Uh, or if you have Marshawn Lattimore or whatever, right? Double. You know what that means? Now there's only two guys worth throwing to. And Tyler Lockett's really good. Uh, but I think that he's not a guy who has a ton of wiggle like that. So he needs a little bit more time to get over. And you, um, his catch radius is pretty high. Um, but, like, he's not a guy who's going to go up and get a ton of passes. He can do it. But, like, the jump ball thing, not really his game. Right? So, basically, you're down to, like, a couple guys. DK, Tyler, Gerald. That's not enough consistently. They don't have that possession receiver uh, like, like they need to. Um, their play calls don't catch anyone off guard. Ever. They try to run screens on third down. Damn all that. If they run another screen pass, I should walk up to Shane Waldron and snatch, snatch the play sheet out of his hand. Like, you're out of here. Stop. Stop running screens. You guys know how to do it. They ran a flea flicker screen pass, Chris. What Lost the hell is that? <laughs> it was a flea flicker screen pass to the tight end. To be honest, I think they went. I think Rez went through the progression and realized there's nothing open, so he had to throw it. And he no, probably it was, just threw it. You can see the old lineman leaking out to block. Like you can see Ethan Posick leave to go block for Will Disley. Like it was a screen pass. I really thought it was for a downfield play, and they just yeah. you know realized that it broke down. So Rez was like, "Screw it, screen it is." But okay. That was. I mean, I, I'm with you. I think he does look at Penny Hart first, but based on what the old lineman were doing, it looked designed like a screen. 
like throw that play out like throw all of that out so i think that's the other part about the third down stuff everything nothing like catches anybody off guard it's all like all right russ is just gonna drop back and he's he's gonna throw the ball that's it let's just let's send our wolves out teams aren't even look like they're blitzing that much they're just rushing four or whatever maybe send one guy and they know they can get there so it's it's just so many issues on third down that's why i didn't want to um, use the timer on this one because good lord it's so much it's it's personnel it's scheme um it's philosophy it's a little bit everything this is why this third down is what leads me to believe i think that was my first point when he's describing the brokenness brokenness is a word yeah yeah brokenness is a word uh that's what lead me to uh use that and talking about the brokenness third down matters and they're bad at it in about every way possible unless it's third and short or it's there's no third down at all they just aren't moving the chains consistently and i think they'll probably get a little better as the season goes on just because i think russ's legs will start to come into play he'll just start running for third downs like he did in the first one uh, of the game today but there's so much to fix in so little time i don't see these guys even being an average third down team anytime soon and today the numbers were okay today the numbers are okay but they were like four of 12 before the final drive that's why the numbers look a little better they ended up being like 50 percent for the game or something like that seven of 15 yeah yeah seven of 15 for the game but like four of 12 before the random garbage time drive like before that they, they were about at um what's four out of 12 come on do some math for me 36 percent no can't be that i don't know Dang, my bad, man. I shouldn't. I shouldn't actually do that. I know you. Don't okay. Like how how close or how off was I? Uh, no, he was he was pretty off. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, he was he, he was he was pretty off. But What's the percentage? Uh, I think that's like thirty three percent or something like that. I said thirty six. I was close. Give me a break. Oh, oh my bad. What but, do you think I said? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to look it up and talk to you at the same time. They're for the year. They're at thirty three point seven. So. When they were four and twelve today, like when the game mattered, that reflects how they've been all year. So there's that. Who that was long, but I really think the third down is like at the core of their issues. Like that's a really big problem, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Since everyone will be down, what's the positive from this game and this season for you? I think the the positive. I really want to. I can't talk enough about their ability to fix the defense in real time. I think that's been really impressive in season, but that's only, but so positive because a lot of it, I think is just personnel changes. They've done some scheme stuff too. Um, I think they've, uh, they've gotten away from just doing cover three. They do a lot of too high uh, looks now. Um, they they kind of changed their fronts again because the, the bear fronts, uh, the five down linemen, they really don't really need as much anymore because people aren't, play action and then Medef and beating them on the edges that was really mostly the Rams and the Niners trying to beat them on that stuff and they kind of just figured it out and now like other stuff is bothering them so that's how they got to change that um so I think the in-season changes there have been good um they're covering really well I mean look at their they're feisty little corners man DJ Reed's balling he's gonna he's gonna price himself out of here DJ Reed playing well um Jamal finally got his pick Quandre's been doing his thing, like the cover, the way they fix the defense. That's like a real positive. But the, I mean, that comes with the, the qualifier, their disclaimer or whatever, that it had to be fixed. It should have had to be fixed. Shouldn't have been broken. That the defense was broken before. Um, so fixing that, I think, is like a legit positive. After that, though, 
I got nothing. I got nothing for you. Legitimately, what is this team's core fundamental problem? Also, why are they so bad in time of possession? Um, time of possession is overrated, but who core fundamental problem? All right, I need a timer for this one too, because I don't want to give myself an extra minute. Okay, so there's one guy in the organization that controls the roster. He controls the offense. He controls the defense. Right. All right. That is one dude named Pete. So if you want to get down to the core, he also controls a lot of the other like philosophies with like culture and like compete, which is kind of you can question whether always compete is like actually being a thing. I don't think that's a thing anymore. Uh, I think you see a lot more guys have been getting handed spots. And I think the compete thing is kind of died really. But anyway, yeah, one dude control most of the damn stuff from the personnel to the philosophies to the end game decision making at some point there when was the last time all of that was clicking like 2015 when they were actually drafting good players running a good scheme both sides of the ball working well in game stuff has still not been great timeout usage challenges when to kick when to go it's just oh man all of that revolves basically comes back to one guy you keep changing the ocs offense looks the same but mostly because the quarterback is still the same too. But I just think when you add in the roster building part and the O-line part, like Russ is never, he's going to go his whole Seahawks career without having the top 10 offensive line. Come on, man. That's unfair. On a team that's drafted as many O-linemen since 2012 as anybody, or is like since 2010, they draft offensive line. They sign offensive line. And they still can't put together like a really like legit okay this is like a top 10 offensive line. not once they've had some good run blocking offensive lines 2018 when in particular was really good i think that one had jr sweezy and fluker two really good run blockers but that all comes back to one dude so if you want to tell me what's the core like what's the brains what's the fundamental issue like at the heart i'm using all these body metaphors now but it comes down to one dude one dude controlling the whole thing now, he's done some really good things, but I think at this point, it's like, well, if everything comes back to one cat, particularly with the roster building, because I do think they have some holes that could have been avoided, and you look at the trades they've had to make, um, like someone sent me a graphic of all the, the moves that the Rams have made uh, over the years, you know, the, the Marcus Peters, the Jalen Ramsey, Fowler, Miller, OBJ, like, they sent it to me. It's like, man, wish Pete would do this. That was just, that's why they sent it. And I sent back. I was like, well, they actually have. They made a lot of moves. Sheldon, Percy, Jimmy, Dwayne, Clowney, Jamal, Quandre, Dunlap. Like, they made a lot of moves. Go look at why they had to make those moves. They had to make those moves out of desperation because they goofed up somewhere else. Why did you have to trade for Sheldon? Oh, because you, you drafted him with McDowell. Why did you have to trade for Dwayne Brown? Oh, because you, you thought George Fant was going to be your, your left tackle. Why did you have to trade for Quandre? Oh, because you, Marquise Blair and Ugo and Tedrick and Mike Tyson, all these DBs you drafted didn't, didn't work out. Why did you have to trade for Carlos? Oh, because you couldn't afford Frank no more and uh, because you let Clowney go and stuff like that. Like, they're all reactionary. Same thing with Jamal, right? It, you 
can't draft any strong safeties. Lane O'Hill doesn't work. Again, Mike Tyson doesn't work. Marquise doesn't work. Like, why do you have to do all these things? And so all that comes back to one guy. So when you ask me what's wrong with the Seahawks at three and six, I mean, it starts at the top. Like, whether it's the defense, the offense, the roster, the philosophy, it all comes back to one dude. They scored zero, so we just got to talk bad about everything, pretty much. Uh, but the core comes back to one cat. The guy who's got all the power. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. DK had some interesting comments saying playmakers need to be more involved. And it seemed very telling with things going on behind the scenes from what you've seen. Who's responsible for not getting DK and Lockett the ball more? in the games i think they hold some of that responsibility because i think their games have some limitations too i don't i think i think like i've already mentioned their locket wibble thing like locket's a very good like field stretcher and he can do underneath stuff too i mean look at him against jacksonville all he did was just run and just turn and it was getting open but i mean that's jacksonville right you got to be able to do that against other teams too um and i think his game has some limitations um i think dk man i would throw him the ball so much 15 times a game who else you gonna throw it to like that's just me so i think it's a little bit of scheme um i think it's a little bit of rust a little bit of dk too i mean he's not open every time right he's also got to catch the ball you know he drops the ball that's that's a problem like that's still that's the part he can control receivers control two things when they get open and where they catch it that's it if he's not doing the back half that's on him so I think a little bit of Pete, a little bit of Shane, a little bit of Dave Canales, the passing game coordinator, a little bit of Russ, a little bit of everybody. Um, and I think, but at the same time, that all comes back to one dude, too. Like, you can point everything back up to the top. It either comes back to Russ or it comes back to Pete when you're talking offense. Like, one of those two dudes. So I think, yeah, the short answer is it's a little bit of everybody, but mostly the scheme thing. At this point, Chris Carson probably the MVP for the Hawks because <laughs> none of the business works without the run game. Problem is you can't really stay healthy and drafting a stable running back hasn't really resulted in a reliable running back too. Can Russ save the season with his arm? Yeah, no, I think that Chris does. Chris Carson does matter, but it's the reason why he matters that is also problematic. The Seahawks have a run game that requires Chris to just, oh, hey, man, somebody about to hit you as soon as you touch it. I need you to spin off him and go get three yards. Chris is like, all right. Like, well, come on, man. That, like, who was it? That dude from the uh, Cardinals, uh, Corey Peters, said on the top 100 that one time, it was like, the Seahawks run a vanilla scheme. So we have all the, all the yards that Chris gets, he earns. That was not a compliment to the scheme, at least. It was to Chris. That's not okay. You need, like, an actual good run block in the line. So, yes, Chris does matter. Um, but to answer the back, pat, back part of that question, no. I don't think that just having Russ back is going to save the season. Like, what, think of what saving the season has to mean. These guys aren't winning no Super Bowl like this. And to, unless they somehow have the best offense in the league the next, like, eight weeks, this thing be done by New Year's, baby. We can start making, throw a New Year's party. We're going to be, we might not even need to go to Arizona week 18. 
that might be a done deal by then. If the fourth quarter had gone differently and the Seahawks won six to three, would Pete have called that mind-numbing, boring game his favorite game of the year, and what Seahawk football should be all about? Uh, yeah, probably, but I wouldn't blame him after a win. I will say this though: um, we got to stop calling games boring because there's not a lot of points. Good defense matters too. Like the Seahawks were playing good defense, and the Packers were too. Like both teams were playing some good defense. I think that we need to start being able to discern whether like the, the offenses stink or the defenses are playing well. Like if you watch, well, I wouldn't advise watching this, but if you did watch the Steelers play the Lions today, that was a bad game. That was just awful. It was two quarterbacks who stunk, uh, teams that couldn't execute to save their lives, and they neither team even wanted to win the game. They tied. This game, I thought this was really good defense. I thought the Seahawks defense was really good. The Packers defense was really disciplined. Like they knew what they wanted to do, what they wanted to eliminate from Seattle's offensive game plan, and they did it. I think you gotta applaud that sometimes. It's not just always, oh, there was no points, this game stunk. No. Good defense is still enjoyable to watch too. At least it is for me. Someone needs to explain or ask Russ, at what point did you realize you were putting the team at a disadvantage by trying to play when you were clearly struggling to find targets. This falls on everyone, coaching staff, for not having the guts to say, Russ, today is not your day. Thanks. All right, so I'm just going to say this in the nicest way that I can. Um, 80% of Russ, 60% of Russ, honestly, 50% of Russ, is better than anything else they were going to put out there at quarterback. And I and I, I really mean that nicely. Like, guys, did, did, who asked this? Who asked this question? You know? Yeah, I'm going to look up. This was from Andrew Simpson. Okay. I don't know Andrew. I don't think he's a regular asking question. And that's fine. It's not like a stupid question. I just need you guys to understand. The Geno Smith era was not good. That was not, They weren't going to do that again if Russ could play. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, Russ is obsessed with playing. Sitting Russ down while he was even capable of just throwing a ball was going to be impossible. Like, remember, remember why he couldn't play against the Rams? Uh, why he didn't come back in, I should say. Because he couldn't. As soon as Russ was able to throw the ball, he was coming back. That was it. There was no telling Russ nothing. Hey, Russ, you're not as good as throwing the ball as you are. Screw you guys. I'm playing. I'm the $140 million man. I named my son Win run about here. That's it. No, for real. They're not, you're not sitting Russ down. It's not like how the, the, the uh, Rams did last year with Wofford and Jared or how the, the Dolphins are doing now with Jacoby and Tua or how people wanted the Jets to do with Mike White and Zach Wilson. No. If Russell can throw the ball, like li- literally at all, you put him out there. That's just common sense. No. Don't put Gino out there. You put a hurt Russ out there if hurt Russ wants to go out there. Put him out there. And actually, I thought his passes themselves were, were fine. The decision-making was poor. Like, he had one throw. He scrambled right and threw it towards Freddie Swain in the end zone. Freddie had to dive for it and didn't get it. If Russ runs, he probably just scores. You know, like, it's decision-making, stuff like that. The, the, the interceptions are both bad decisions. The decision-making was bad. Was he out, Was that going to happen regardless of when he came back? I think so, which is why I think he should have just been out there regardless. On a scale of from one to ten with one being over and ten being really over how over is the seahawks season um over if we if we judge it by whether they win a championship like it's really over like nine or ten 
Um, but I think they're going to have some compelling games. They're going to upset some teams. Um, like, they're going to win some games and score more points. Like, I don't think we should misconstrue that. I guess I should wait before an hour in to say that. They're going to score more points and they're going to win games. I just think that I view this in the lens of, all right, are they going to do enough to get a championship? And the answer is freaking no. It's just not there. There's too many things that are wrong that need to change drastically right away. And I don't think there's anybody new coming or a new philosophy change that's going to get that done. Where was Rashad Penny tonight? Where was Rashad Penny? I don't want to say this really nicely. Mm, okay, I got it. I think it was the right decision to not hand anyone else the ball unless they were Alex Collins. Let's put it that way. The Travis Homer thing was cute. There's a reason that there was his only carry. I just think that it was a wise decision to only hand the ball to Alex Collins, who only got 10 runs, I'm saying a lot, but yeah, I, I don't think that anyone else deserves any carries right now. How much heat does the offensive coaching staff need to take for putting up a shutout? And how do you divvy up that blame pie? Well, today in particular, I'd probably like the blame pie because of I think I would put most of this most of this one today on Russ, but it's bigger than Russ. But I would put most of this one today on him, probably like 60, and then have everybody else to divvy up that other 40. You know, receivers, O-line, probably coaches divvy up like probably I say receivers, O-line. Pete and Shane all share about 40%. Everything else is kind of kind of whatever. Uh Russ, Russ was really Russ was really bad today. Mostly decision making. Just really, really bad. This is one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. And I've seen him play some pretty bad games. I looked up most of the games where he's had his lowest passer ratings, and I was there for most of them. Like it, for real. I was there for uh let's see. The Minnesota game when they won 21 to 7 in 2018. I was there for that. Uh, his rookie year, he stunk. I wasn't there for that game in 2016. I wasn't there for that. And then he had the one in Green Bay. Uh, I wasn't there for that in 2016. So maybe I wasn't there that often. Maybe I lied. Maybe it was his EPA games that were pretty bad that I was there for. Yeah, I, I think that's what it was. But either way, yeah, this was, a, this was a really heavy rust. It was the problem game. Why didn't the Seahawks use D. Eskridge? And where is the promised Rams offense? Uh, yeah, I'll skip the, I'm not skip the D part, but the short answer is they should have played D more. I don't know why he only played five snaps and he really only played two of those after DK got ejected. So it was like, I didn't, I didn't understand that. That's, I don't have a good answer for that because we didn't get one. I'm not going to make anything up. Um, so I'm gonna skip past that. Although I agree, he should have played more. Um, what was the second part of that? Cause I want to dig into that. Where's the promised Rams offense? Ah, real quick. This is a time. This is gonna need to be a timer one as well. All right, timer is set. Who the hell promised y'all the Rams offense? Chris, did you promise people the Ram offense? Did you do that? I did not. No, I didn't either. Okay. I feel like we've been saying we were saying just because you hired a dude from the Rams don't mean you get the Rams offense. You don't. They were doing some things that the Rams do for sure. A lot of the motion stuff, dressing up plays to look the same, at least in week one. Then they just stopped. <laughs> stopped doing that. The Rams offense was tailored to Jared Goff. He stinks, so they had to make a he stinks offense. 
a lot of play action, a lot of uh, a lot of running, using the receivers as runners, jet sweep stuff, relying a lot on yards after the catch. It was a he stinks offense, right? Giving him one read, throw it right there. Like Sean McVay was telling him, hey man, throw it to him. That's what he did. You weren't gonna get that with Russ. And even if you were gonna get something Rams related, Shane wasn't the OC of the Rams. <laughs> McVay's the OC. So you weren't even getting the Rams OC. That's like it's not the same thing. Uh so we didn't promise y'all that. At least Chris and I didn't promise y'all that. Shane really didn't either, to be fair. So like I, I was really cautioning against that all offseason. And I feel like nobody was really trying to hear us on that. Uh, and I think now they're starting to see just because he got Shane, I mean, they're just going to be the Rams. That's really not, not how it goes. The Rams have McVay. McVay is the brain. Like that. And he, he'll continue to be the brain. So just keep that in mind, man. Didn't nobody promise you guys the Rams? Maybe some other writers did, or some radio people, some TV people. The brothers of the Seahawks Man to Man podcast did not promise you guys the Rams offense. Nope. No, no, we did not. And we said Pete Ball. <laughs> yep. More, more Pete Ball with a different OC. That's what you were going to get. If you were in charge, how would you fix the offensive line? Okay. You can't fix the O line um, because there's no way to. But I do think they can try to work around it. You got to start. I think the pistol formations are probably going to be helpful. Um, I think you got to start adding more people to the backfield. You might need to have Tyler lining up in the backfield, um, have Gerald back there, have Will back there, have DK back there, D. Eskridge back there, just to use more guys in the backfield to help with the protection, but then also run routes out of there and just give people new looks. Basically, here's the short answer of this one. Coach like you have a battle line. Pretty much. I mean, that's what you, like, coaches admit stuff like that. It's like a basketball coach playing zone defense. You're coaching like you guys if you have guys who can't keep anybody in front of you right you don't tell the guys hey you guys can't guard no you just say hey let's play zone right like zone would just mean something so it's like hey we can't just sit back and go empty a lot which is what the seahawks do we need to be more in the pistol with maybe gerald everett on one side and and will disney on the other and alex collins in the backfield and operate out of that you know and just see what they can do from there because right now they just don't have the, the horses in the stable to just be running through people or just keeping Russ upright. So I think they just need to start coaching like the O-line is not good. Um, and I think that would just help them out, kind of work around the O-line, so to speak. When was the last time a team came out of the bye week and scored zero points? Legit wondering. Yeah, no, I'm wondering that too. I'm, I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. I'm sorry. I wish I could like ESPN stats and info that one and figure out that. Though I will say this about the bye week. The players be gone. They ain't working on nothing. You know, I'll give you an example. I asked DK, I said, when you guys were doing self-scouting during the bye week, what did you learn about you guys on third downs? Like, why is that not going well? DK looked at me. He said, you got to ask the coaches. They did the self-scouting. You know, players go home. They be chilling. They be with their ladies. They be, you know, uh, back home. They go to their alma mater sometimes. Like, they ain't just sitting at home working with the coaches during the bye week the bye week is not a, it's not like an extra week to be working it's an extra it's a week off i took the week off chris you took it off too so like yes so i think that doesn't make it better because should have scored more than zero but i do think just about bye weeks in general we got to stop assuming that that's an extra week of work it's not most of them guys ain't working did kevin king really catch that you know i think kevin king caught it 
but I'll put it this way. This is kind of how I've rationalized it in my head because every replay, every time I see a replay of it, my opinion changes. I do think Kevin King intercepted the ball. I also think that if that same exact motion happened with an offensive player in the end zone, they would not have rolled out a touchdown. Do with that information what you will. But I do think Kevin King intercepted. Where do the Seahawks go from here? What's next? Woo. Is it the last one? Because it's like, that's philosophical. Uh, we have one more. Is it is it a big picture one like that? No, it's just how bad is the locker room from this game? Uh, okay, I'll do the locker room one first, then we'll close on what's next. Um, I actually don't think the locker room's that bad. I do think those guys believe, because you know what? I think these guys, A, they see the good in their teammates first, because they're like family. They're going to naturally default to giving their teammates the benefit of the doubt. But also, I bet you these guys look around and be like, damn, man, there's some talent up in this joint. They look around like, yo, man, there's Dwayne Brown over there. There's Jamal Adams over there. There's Bobby Wagner over there. We got Puna. We got Big Al killing it. You know, like, we got Quandre. They're looking around like, man, we, why aren't we better? You know what, guys? We're going to be better. Don't even worry about it. Like, I do think that they, I mean, they realize that, like, they can't afford to lose no more games. But in said general. that last week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that these guys look around the room and think, man, we got Russell freaking Wilson. We're going to be okay. And I understand why they think I disagree, clearly, but the first hour of this podcast. But the other part is just that I think they believe that. And while they believe that, the locker room won't be full of just like guys trying to fight each other or something like that, you know? Um, so I think that's where we're at to close. What's next, man, that is tough. It's very tough. I'm not even really sure to how to, how to really address this as like from a coverage standpoint either in terms of just me writing about the team because they're bad. The season's over for the most part, but they don't think they're bad. And they don't think the season's over. And they don't have a first-round pick. So it's like, how do I... I can't just write to what I think. That's like one article, maybe two. I kind of have to go with the theme of the team. But at the same time, the theme of the team is like delusional, almost. Right? Like, they think they got a shot. So I got to write like they think they got a shot. It's weird, you know? I don't really know how to go about that. Because they don't got a shot. At least not in my head. I just don't. I just don't see a Super Bowl team when I watch the Seahawks. Uh, I just don't. Maybe that. Maybe that changes. Doubt it. So what's next? What's next is going to be kind of awkward. I would imagine these next few weeks being kind of weird, where they may win a game, they may lose a game, but they're going to keep preaching in these press conferences that they're not. Their their confidence is not wavering, and they believe in each other. And there's a lot of football left, and you know they still control their own fate and stuff like that and all these things that like are probably true like in their minds but aren't in real life you know so it's gonna be weird I expect some weird stories expect some weird commentary expect some weird press conferences expect some weird articles because there's there's the way that the that we're perceiving the team and the way the team perceives itself and they just don't mesh a lot of us think that this is a wrap they can't afford to think it's a wrap it's not like the lions know that they're not gonna win the championship they know that they're not building toward the Jets know that the Giants know that right the Texans know that so they can act accordingly like they're not stupid you know not to say the Seahawks are stupid that's a bad uh, choice of words but 
the point is that those teams can accept the, where they at. Like they're, they're living in their own reality. I don't think the Seahawks are there yet, so I'm not even really sure how to cover a team that's there yet. So what's next is tricky. That's a good question. That's why I wanted it to be last. I'm not exactly sure. We're going to get in this weird space where the team thinks it's one thing, and it's almost like the, the, the uh, what's the uh, what's the movie? Uh, I think it's Shallow Hal, where he, like, sees uh, – no, that's a bad example. But basically, they're looking in the mirror and not seeing what's really there. You know, they're seeing like it's like being it's like being fat and overweight. And when you look in the mirror, you see a six pack. It's like, nah, bro, you not. That's not you. You know, that's what the Seahawks are right now. Looking in the mirror and seeing what they want to be, not what they are. And I don't. Yeah, like I said, it's going to get weird the next few weeks because some guys in the locker rooms going to figure that out. I'm like, hey, man, we actually not that good. <laughs> We're three and six, guys. You say nothing. <laughs> you just got to come to practice and keep keep playing hard. But like and then some guys are going to figure it out. And then, like, but Russ is never going to – as long as they're mathematically in it, he's never going to let himself believe otherwise. Same thing with Pete. So, I don't know. It's going to be weird. These next few weeks are going to be real weird, man. Maybe that's what I'll write. But, yeah, it's tricky right now. Well, we want to thank everybody out there for asking Twitter questions. As some are still rolling in, sorry if we didn't get to you. Are they still? Lot. Man, we oh, yeah. Out. Come on now. You know how it is. I you know a, how it is. I got a ride to the airport scheduled in about five hours. So, I got to well, look. You got to get some sleep. I got to edit. It's been another episode of Seahawks Man to Man. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. We are almost there. Almost to 1,000 subscribers. So, yes, go on YouTube. Subscribe to Seahawks Man to Man. But, again, we want to thank you guys for tapping in with us. Mike, is there anything you want to add before we get out of here? I just want to appreciate the love you guys always show us, man. We, we see it. We acknowledge it. And if we can't get back to you all the time and DM or the tweets or whatever, we see it. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Thanks for the questions. A lot of good ones today. Um, we really, really, really do appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back with a midweek episode. We're bringing that to you. We're not going to have a Cardinals rider on. We'll have somebody else. So uh, stay tuned for that. We appreciate you guys, and we'll catch you guys next time. From a time to your bag and a color on your lip, yeah, you're plenty of fish. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.